Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to uh, this Memorial Day edition of the H2O podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Harvey. And uh, Timothy is quarantined this evening. <laughs> I have a code. I have a code. And uh, I, no, I'm, I'm actually feeling better than I did earlier. The, the worst of the days was apparently going to be thir- or Thursday. So hopefully, uh, I just got, it's, it's not a chest cold. Well, that's good. It's a, it's a head cold. Yeah. And so it's either everything is Sahara up here mm-hmm. or everything is a rainforest down here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I have um, been I have been sneezing and coughing this afternoon because uh, as as we have mentioned uh, in a couple of places, we're moving. Uh, the the office, the studio, the headquarters, the bunker, everything is moving. I've been in this I've been in this place for 17 and a half years and so they finally let you out <laughs> yes so the accumulated uh de- detrius the dust and the the extra office dogs that i'm finding under where the furniture has lived and stuff so the dust you know, bunnies had been breeding yes and, there's a and, colony. and you oh. know the coughs and the <clears throat> You know, all sure. of that's going on. So, uh, so yeah, it's We're been... going to sound great tonight. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. Aren't we? Aren't we? Um, so anyway, and yes, some of you may have noticed uh, on the couch back in the bag, Junior Office Dog. Uh, she is wandering around, probably wanting something to eat. Penny, come here. Come here. You want to say hi to everybody? Junior Office Dog, ladies and gentlemen. Still not quite sure what to make of everything. Although she's settled in fairly well, um, but something about the breeze. Many pretty. Let's 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 uh, let's do this first, and then I'm going to mention something that I've noticed about her. Uh, this uh, this show is sponsored in part by SuperheroStuff.com. You enter the code Sci-Fi for Me ten when you check out buying all of your licensed merchandise. You get ten percent off. Uh, as part of our 10th anniversary effort, Superhero Stuff came back on board as a sponsor. We're very happy to have them uh, back with us. So, um, so yeah, uh, it's it's been it's been a real interesting experience with Junior Office Dog here at, at the place. So. Um, the hashtag, if you want to join the conversation, H2O podcast, and uh, the email address, H2O at sci-fi for me.com. And uh, we are broadcasting live right now. Uh, and I should uh, mention maybe to the intern without portfolio who got promoted to fiance that maybe she should get on social media and say, hey, we're live because I can't do it right now. Um, but, um, <coughs> excuse me, there's some of that dust bunny cough that's that's going around um but one thing that i've noticed uh penny is a miniature pincher 
-hmm. and they are in the terrier category I'm given to understand. And as part of the breed's personality, let's say, miniature pinchers are burrowers, which means they like to burrow, which means they like to dig under the things, right? Sure, sure. So there's a table over here that's got nothing underneath it, has never had anything underneath it. And she, the first couple of days that she was here, desperately wanted to get under there and get at whatever was under there. It's like, what, what are you doing? There's nothing under there, dog. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, at bedtime, she wants to get under, under the covers down to the feet. Sure, right? sure. Like, mm-hmm. No, you can't do that. You can't do that because she eventually she comes out in the morning and she's because <laughs> she's overheated, right? Because sure. she's down underneath of it. So we're trying to figure out. Uh, yeah, I've I've got a, a blanket. One of the blankets that she came with in her carrier is now on the bed. I'm trying to teach her go under here. And of course, this morning she was under there and she was perfectly fine until she couldn't get out. And then it was, it was, oh dear, the, the thrusting of the head and the bob and the, yeah, it's like, all right, all right, here, I'll help you. <laughs> so it has been, a, uh, it has been an experience having a miniature pincher in the house. And of course, senior office dog, Alfie is just kind of looking rather disdainfully at those other dogs. Sure. Like, yeah, okay, whatever. But they seem to be getting along fairly well, so. Yeah, I, I'm <clears throat> I'm still considering um, my cat Hamish, who is the assistant to the assistant, because mm-hmm. uh, I'm the administrative assistant to my boss, and Hamish helps me throughout the day. For those of you who are who hear this, there are air <laughs> quotes happening um, because help is a curious definition. Um, from the first year-ish of his life, I worked away from home. And for the last almost six months now, I've been working from home. And this has meant I'm, you know, I'm always here. And he's like, well, that means you have to play. Yes. Because he's a year and a half old and he's still a very large kitten. And I mean, this is, he's like the largest cat I think I've ever had. (laughs) Um, He's just huge. But, um, and not like fat. He's just big. He's yeah. just, you know, if he was any larger, I'd, I'd, I'd ride him around. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, there's a, there's a Lloyd Alexander joke in there for, if you want to do a deep dive into, into fiction. Um, but I consider periodically um, getting him, uh, getting another cat. Cause I've, I've had two cats at a time for God, close to 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, was the pretty much the run there and uh and someone for him to play with someone who's not me um and because he's just i mean he's got all kinds of energy except when he doesn't in which case he's just this lump i mean he will walk into the room and just collapse onto his side and go (laughs) i must rest oh it's very dramatic oh yes he's a very dramatic creature as they are because you know cats um, speaking of which, that reminds me, um, my sister sent uh, Mindy a note 
apparently she's got a friend with a cat who uh, I, I guess I'm given to understand can't keep said cat um, because I think the dog doesn't get along with him. Or so. I, I, I can't remember exactly what the reason was, but this cat happens to be a Maine Coon. And my sister was like, you like a Maine Coon? I was like, heck no, I don't want a Maine Coon. Are you kidding me? Uh, uh, those are those are some big cats. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> do you want a Maine Coon here? Tim? How, old, how old is the Maine Coon? Um, I would have to check. I'm not sure exactly, but uh, I'm uh, uh, having having uh, you know for for anyone who's followed me for any length of time on anything resembling social media. <clears throat> you know, I uh, it was. But two years ago, two-ish years ago, a little more, um, where the the second of my two cats mm-hmm. that I've had since I moved to Kansas City in 2005 passed away. Um, so um, I'm at this point I'm looking for something a little a little younger. Um, the older I get, you know, the more I want to make sure that they're around for a while. Sure, sure. Um, Pen- Penny is three. Um, I think Alfie is nine. So. And looking at uh, looking at the, uh, the the live chat here and the numbers of the people watching, we've already lost two people from our talking about animals instead of what we're <laughs> supposed to talk about. Martha, they said they were going to talk about military science fiction, and they're talking about cats. They have have they watched us or listened to us before? <laughs> Digression well, is know, what is our is our is our best we get, talent. We get the digression out of the way first, and then we spend the rest right. of the show talking about that. Exactly. Um, and especially given that this is going to be a topic that I don't think that we're going to come to blows about. So I I think this is going to be I a think fairly it's unlikely. Decent I, mean, it, 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 I guess it depends on how how you feel about certain movies and books. I mean, you know, I will fight you about the. You know, it's yeah, yeah. So the topic tonight, uh, given that it is uh, Memorial Day, and I'm wearing my Captain America t-shirt, and uh, it is it is a day that we remember those who have given their lives for the protection of our country, uh, I thought it might be um, not terribly much of a stretch that we could talk about military science fiction, the best mm-hmm. of, worst of, uh, some of our favorites. And so, um, so that's what we're going to talk about tonight military science fiction as the dog goes squeak in the background i think one of the interesting things about military science fiction is that while while the nerds have taken over the world while the geeks are in charge while the fans of genre have the presence that we have now where we're in the movie theaters where we've got best-selling novels and best you know new york times list and we've got you know uh award-winning things that are very very prominent right i mean there's there's a prevalence of genre stuff, but military sci-fi has a tendency to somehow get a little bit of a short shrift. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say, and I think part of this came out of the fact that uh, for a long time, people weren't necessarily taking science fiction novels as serious literature. And once you start, once you start with that level, and then you start breaking it down into... You know, it's little subsections, urban fantasy and military science fiction and all the different, all the different subcategories. Mm-hmm. You know, you can get, somebody has to end up, you know, catching 
the brunt of this is not this is not serious stuff. And it doesn't and it, and and military science fiction isn't alone in this regard. Urban fantasy took a, a beating for years and years and years. You know, romantic fantasy novels, which are hugely popular, fans love them. You know, <clears throat> so well, and I would say that that uh, the young adult category gets its share of sure side eye and and, and then stuff. and yet I you know I made that Lloyd Alexander joke uh, earlier, and that is a deep dive. But Lloyd Alexander's um, uh, Pride in series are brilliant young adult fiction, mm-hmm. and they are they play with Welsh and Celtic myth. I mean, it's amazing stuff. It's a quality writing. Um, and it's a it's a series that uh, I highly recommend, especially if you've only ever seen the Disney movie, um, which uh, the Black Cauldron, which is a terrible representation of the quality of the books, which are very much a young adult series. Yeah. So there's a lot of fantastic stuff. And it's the same thing for military science fiction. Sure. There's some of it which is not great literature or great movies, um, but some of it and some of it is purely there to entertain. And some of it is really quality writing. Uh, whether it's science fiction or military fiction in a science fiction setting. Yeah. Well, and I and I think uh, for me, if you have something that falls into that category of military science fiction, there's there carries with it a certain level of expectation on what kind of story you're going to get. And and it's not going to be the spy novel it's not going to be the romance it's not going to be a fantasy you're not going to have you know the the supernatural werewolves and drac you know vampires and and that sort of thing although uh speaking of which uh vampirella vamp vampirella let me say it right um who is a, a native of the planet draculon you know, so she's an extraterrestrial. So there's the science fiction aspect of it, but she's a vampire. Sure, you know, space that vampire. kind of thing. Space like, vampire. Yeah. Um, and she's a much better looking space vampire than the one that was in Buck Rogers. Um, <clears throat> talk about a deep dive there. Yeah, <laughs> go go look up Buck Rogers space vampire now, and I know what they were going for. I mean, it right. was it was a Nosferatu thing, but still. But I think when you have uh, military science fiction, you look for the military side of things. You look for the 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 <clears throat> the regimented uh, rules and regulations, and it's you know uh, naval combat type of things and and that sort of thing that you well find. or infantry with things like starship troopers. Right. Whether you're looking at the novel or the film, which are very of course very very different creatures and very very different ways of looking at military SF. Yeah. And I think that. Um, one thing you, you need to bear in mind is that if you're thinking that military science fiction is all just gung-ho, pro-war, you know, military is always right, it's not. It's, right. it's a range. There's, you, you could, I mean, uh, Haldeman's Forever War is, right. is an amazing piece of military science fiction. And it is very much a war is bad novel. And, it do, and, and the strengths of it lie in building the characters and the world they live in and being realistic about that environment. Right. And so you can enjoy the military science fiction because it's there, but you can also enjoy the fact that this is a, a look at how this war does more damage than just 
the body count. Yeah. And I think that's important to realize is that, you know, if you're if you're thinking that you're just going to get that kind of pro-military, you know, don't don't look at other sides of the of the discussion of, you know, well, a significant chunk of the military would tell you that war is bad. Okay. I mean, this is <laughs> most most soldiers would prefer not to have to hit the battlefield. <laughs> Perish I mean, the thought. Can't even imagine. Um, because, you know, odds of dying increase greatly. Yes. But but the the decisions that they make to to serve their country or their um in whatever whatever, you know, structure appears in the novel or the film. Um, I think that uh, uh, it's the fact that they chose to serve. Or, in the case of some of the stories where they didn't choose to serve and were forced to serve, um, Starship Troopers, of course, in many ways, is is about what kind of life you're going to have if you don't serve. It's, right. a, it's a social structure thing that Heinlein is playing with, um, which the film does not get anywhere near the depth of. I mean... <laughs> And so, and, and you could argue that Heinlein's *The Starship Troopers* is an anti-war novel. Some can make that argument, and some have. Um, and if you look at it in the right light, I think that argument holds holds up. Um, I I don't think that um, I don't think that Heinlein presented himself as a as a war hawk in that book by any stretch of the imagination. No. Um, he'd, I, served, he'd served in the military. And a, and a lot of science fiction writers back then did. I mean, not certainly not all of them, but there were a number of them who did. And nowadays you have some, uh, Brad, Brad Torkerson comes to mind, who is active in the military now and writes uh, science fiction. I think Larry Correa might have done some, some uh, spent some time in uniform, but I'm not sure about that. But uh, David, um, what uh, Joe, uh, uh, John Ringo, sir? John Ringo, yes. Um, and, and actually, John Ringo is on a list. Uh, and I just did a search military science fiction. This is a list best sci fi books.com. This is a list 23 best military science fiction books. And John Ringo is number one on this list with a hymn before battle. If it's the list that I, I I'm familiar with, it's an alphabetical list. Um, so don't don't read into the rankings there. Um, oh. To get down in the comments, this comes up. Um, I see. Yes, a, it does look like that. Right, and and so, but on the other hand, this is this is actually an interesting list because a significant chunk of what I would consider the higher end uh, quality science fiction novels uh, set in a in a military setting are in here. Yeah, and I thought this was a really this is a really comprehensive list, and a few that I had not thought of. Um, in a while, because I had not considered The Forge of God by Greg Bear um, when I was thinking about this. Uh, I did think of uh, uh, Niven and Pornell's uh, The Moat in God's Eye mm -hmm. um, and The Gripping Hand, its sequel, um, which are um, not only both space opera and first contact novels, uh, but also, and 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 big idea novels, uh, exploring some of the big ideas of science fiction in terms of genetics and the future right. and where humanity is going, but also is a rip-roaring space battle series. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I, I, I highly recommend them for that. 
interestingly enough, I think a lot of a lot of military science fiction stuff set in the far future tends to be a little more structured in the empire where there's sort of an emperor or empress or a king, essentially a, a almost a monarchy style structure. Yeah. Which shows up a lot. Um, uh, you see that, you see that in David Weber's books in the honor Harrington universe, Yeah, um, where you have, <sighs> It's kind of a constitutional monarchy. It's a weird the mm-hmm. the the um the royal Manticoran Empire is sort of a hybrid and I think maybe one of the closest analogs that anybody could really relate to would be um in Star Wars where uh the queen of Naboo is an elected official and there's a senate and there's a, you know there's a there's a, right. a governing right. body outside of that. But with the the Manicoran Empire, you have uh, you have a hereditary royal family, but then there's also a parliament, and there's also you know there's there's an upper and lower house, very much uh, like the Congress is structured here in the United States, and you know you have the prime minister, and there's part there's political parties, and you know. Um, Whoever's in charge of this, the opposition party's in charge of that, and you know, there's all of these checks and balances right. that are put in place. And it's a very complex structure that David Weber has put into place, and he's clearly thought this through, how this works. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the Republic of Haven, and you look at the Andermany Empire and all these other things, and they are very much different enough that you can always tell who it is that you're talking about. And... Um, I think I think the Honor Harrington books are probably some of the best military science fiction out there, um, and he's up to I think what twenty five, twenty six books now in the series mm-hmm. and and all of the side series and stuff. And uh, speaking of John Ringo, he's done a couple of couple of the side novels have been uh, collaborations with Ringo. Right. And one of the one of the the books that is not on this this list that I thought was pretty good in military science fiction is Hellhole, by uh, Kevin J. Anderson and Brian Herbert. Mm. Um, this has come after a number of years collaborating between the two of them on the Dune books, and you know you could argue that Dune is military science fiction oh, in a yeah, way. No, Dune is- Dune is, I think, I think especially the first novel is mm-hmm. very much a military science fiction novel. Um, it becomes a, it's, it, it's a different kind of military science fiction novel because it's essentially the story of an insurrection. Yeah. Where you're on the side of the insurrectionists. You're on the side of, um, well, in if you want, because because it is a very political novel as well. I mean, it, Dune is Dune is all the things, right? It's mm-hmm. pick a pick a science fiction subject and it's in there. Yeah. But um, if, if you want to if, if you want to think of it in a way that is might make a lot of people uncomfortable is basically you're the Taliban. And yeah. bear in mind bear in mind when he was writing these books the Afghan the Afghani insurgents were fighting the Russians. So it was a different time. It was has, a different has world. That, has that has that conflict been going on that long? Oh, good God! Yeah. Well, it, if actually um, the actually it may have been no, it may have preceded the Russians. It may have been the English or the French at that point. I'm not sure. It's been you know the 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 conflict in that in that particular uh, part of the world um, over oil, over resources, over culture. Right. You know this this it's it's not it's not a new thing. It's not our generation. It, 
you know, it's, uh, what is it? The, um, the wind and the lion, the Sean Connery movie. Was that something like that? Uh, um, uh, a million years ago, uh, basically playing a, a, uh, Afghani warlord. Uh, right. and he was the hero. So, I mean, it's, it's, you know, the politics shift and, and, and the cultures change, but in any event, the point was, um, the significant choice if you're following, you know, Paul Atreides story, you you're in the military insurrectionist side yeah. of the argument against the against the supremely powerful galactic empire precedes Star Wars, by the way. Um, by quite a bit. <laughs> yes. Uh, just just to interject here real quick in the live chat, Benjamin says hi. Hello. Uh, Hello. Glad to glad that you have joined us. Uh, thanks very much for sticking around. Always always good to have a new face. Benjamin, where are you from? We'll we'll ask that question. We'll continue our discussion here. I think I think uh uh I'm gonna go out on a limb on this one because you don't normally think of this as military science fiction. Um but I've been reading I've been rereading uh Tom Clancy. And right now I've I've just finished Debt of Honor and now I'm reading Executive Orders. This is the one where um Debt of Honor was the one where the Japanese attack the financial markets and that they take right. over the Marianas Islands and then the Japanese lose, but a, a Japanese pilot, airline pilot, who's lost his brother and his son in the, in the conflict decides, well, I'm going to show them, and he flies the airplane into, into the, the capital of Washington, D.C. And this, right. this is before 9-11 happened. Right. And now Jack Ryan... Our, you know, our our favorite CIA guy, Jack Ryan, is now the president of the United States, and executive orders is the the aftermath of that. But Tom Clancy has a, a side line of books that are, I think, probably a little bit more science fiction than his main line, than his Jack Ryan line of books, and it's well, they're not listed here, but. Um, um, let me look. Benjamin's from Chicago, so welcome to uh, welcome to the. Are chat. you thinking his, his what is Cyber War series? He's is, uh... he's got a he's got a cyber the cyber one, and he's got another line that. Um, let me let me do a look here for a well, second. Well, Let's Jason, is, well, you're looking at that. Revamp. Other other series, I would recommend. Um, uh, again, uh, coming back to John Ringo, his Empire of Man series is the series that he was writing with David Weber. Um, it's four books in the series, uh, and also known as the Prince Prince Roger series. And they keep promising there's going to be additional books in the series, but the last one came out in 2005, and I don't believe him anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which is a shame, because it is... Think military science fiction, but also it's the... It's the hero's journey, yeah. Because the hero, uh, in this case, Prince Roger, is a spoiled, uh, you know, uh, aristocrat who finds himself with a group of Marines trapped on a planet, and they have to fight their way to the place they're going to get picked up. And it is along the way he experiences character growth. This is a grant. This is a, a, a not a particularly original storyline in terms of the broad strokes, but it's well written. The battle scenes are dramatic. There's consequences to actions. 
Um, it's not a glorification of the military. It's not a condemnation of the military. It's a look. It's a way of looking at the pros and cons of the mindset. Um, and it's it's well done and it's very entertaining. And I think that good science fiction, um, good military science fiction, um, has the ability to entertain as well as may make you ask questions whether they are is this a just war <clears throat> are we on the right side etc cetera, etc cetera. there's um john ringo's uh oh for heaven's sakes him before battle mm -hmm. um and i i'm going to say that the the this is the legacy of aldenada i think that's how i think that's how it's pronounced uh series and I personally felt that the series started off extremely strong and kind of lost some of its impact the more it went along. Right. Um, I think it's. I think it's the first probably four or five books in the series are uh, really really interesting, and and ask some very interesting questions about what you will do to win. Yeah. Which I think is a question that comes up in some military science fiction is. You know, our Ender's Game is an example of what what will you do to win? Will you take a child and mold them into basically the kind of creature who could destroy a species? You and, know, and at the same time, um, not even understand. Well, most of them don't even understand that it's that it's not a game. It's presented well, as a game. This is a simulation. It's a game. But, not only that, but they're they're fighting they're fighting an enemy they don't actually know. Yeah, and so there's there's interesting questions that happen in the Ender's series about about who are you fighting, why are you fighting them, and what are you willing to do to win? And I think the the uh, Ringo does a really good job in probably the first four or five books of the series of asking those questions and exploring the idea. And it's 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 kind of gung ho. You know, USA, rah, rah, rah. Um, but at the same time, um, the main characters are American. They're fighting for their uh, country. They're fighting, you know, they, they, can't, they can't worry about what's happening in England or China or Russia or South America uh, or, you know, um, you know, New Zealand or Africa because the battle is on their doorstep. They have to worry about now. Yeah. So there's a certain amount of that. And it makes sense. I mean, there's a place for that. There's a place for patriotism. And and maybe even you can even push it to jingoism, mm -hmm. um, which is you know can can be a can be an issue in any kind of literature when you push it too far. Right. Um, but it's it's a really interesting you know alien invasion story uh, against you know things that have better tech and want to eat you. Speaking of alien invasions, would you consider V? Uh, the original V to be a military uh, science fiction story because the aliens, the visitors, were this invading, occupying military force. Of course, mm. representative of the Nazis, but um, I would say that the spinoff novels, not the the ones that were set. Um, there were two or three spinoff novels. Oh yeah, there was a whole set, series of those yeah. that were set in other countries. That wow. I think went a lot more to the military SF side of things than because I think I think there was much more of the 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 occupied France 
um, you know, occupied Europe, mm-hmm. uh, occupied France, especially because there was a whole Vichy government thing going on in the in the in the miniseries. Right. Um, and I so I think that that was probably the more the although although I think that you could probably, you know, is Casablanca a war movie? I would say that it is. But it's, it's, kind of but it's peripherally a war movie. It's yeah, not, so I think know, it's I think it's the same kind it. of thing. Um, but um, uh, the the Tom Clancy ones that I was looking at, there's there's two series, Net Force and Op Center, that are more the the um, the technology computers right. and, you know spyware type of thing, and they're they're set slightly in the future. Net Force <coughs> Net Force is more. Uh, paramilitary type of thing right. but op center is the you know the here are all the computers and and feeling out and and dealing with that kind of of a threat i don't know necessarily that it's i mean it's a it's a military operation and some of the some of the technology that's in there with the computers and stuff might be a little forward thinking as far as uh, capabilities but Tom Clancy's got a got a reputation of of doing his homework and getting things pretty on the nose. So I don't know if it counts as science fiction or not. Well, and, and aren't, weren't a lot of those series kind of written by? Wasn't that part of the whole Tom Clancy branding? Yes, thing? yes. He, uh, because he was of- he was he was spreading out, and there were other people that were writing those books. Right. Um, a lot, and, and he he was there in the beginning of those, and then those launched out, and you've got other people writing it, and of course it's Tom Clancy's Op Center, or Tom Clancy's right. Netflix, right. or whatever. Um, Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon is the video game, uh, and then of course Clancy died, so everybody, all of it now is you know other people that are writing, and I don't even know. Now that I think about it, I have not seen a new Jack Ryan book since he since he passed away. So, but it's very possible that that line it, it doesn't go to anybody else. I don't know. I'd have to research that and look well, into I mean, it. Well, you but... could carry. I mean, the, the the what the is it Netflix who's doing the Jack Ryan series now? Uh, whoever's doing the whoever's doing the Jack Ryan. I think it's Amazon Prime. Okay, whoever's doing it. Um, you know that that may be the the avenue for the Jack Ryan because I guess the first season of that got pretty good reviews. They're, heard, they're doing a second good season about it, yeah. Although um, although they got it. they got Jack Ryan from from everything that I've heard about the the character descriptions of Jack Ryan, it's completely wrong. It's not the Jack Ryan from the books. I looked at the promos and I'm like, that's not Jack Ryan. I mean, just looking at the promo, just looking at what he was doing and saying in the promos. My first reaction was, that's not Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan's well, an analyst. Jack Ryan doesn't get into things until he has to get into <laughs> things. He's, he's a... The only film where that actually happened was the first ha- no, the first quarter of Hunt for Red October. And, and, then- and that, movie, <laughs> that movie actually followed the book pretty well, especially yeah. given the fact that you've got so much to unpack and get into that two hours... But, you know, um, Patriot Games was pretty much the same way. Um, you know, and it's the least, it's one of the least popular of the Jack Ryan films of those original grouping, mm-hmm. right? Uh, getting in, getting into the, the later ones where they kept recasting Jack Ryan every five minutes. It yeah. seemed. Um, I, I saw Claire in Present Danger and I was, I was very disappointed in that movie. I thought, I thought, and... 
I think the biggest problem with Clear and Present Danger as a film was the, you know, we always talk about story, the stories, you know, books and movies being a product of their times, a product of their age. Sure. Um, what are you doing? She's digging under the table again. Of course. Hey, what are you doing? There's nothing under there. There's nothing. As far under as the table. you know. There's nothing under the table. I mean, there's not even dust bunnies under the table now, and she's digging under the table. There's hey. a body under the floorboards, Jason. Hey, stop. The dog oh, has finally yeah. discovered your secret. But no dog has ever tried to get under that table. <laughs> <sighs> Good thing you're moving out. I, I mean, know, uh... no kidding. But you know, but but clear and present danger, I think, had the problem of having to worry about political sensibilities because they had to change the bad guys. Because in the original novel, the bad guys were not Nazis. And when they made the movie, they had to change the bad guy from Muslims to Nazis. And it, I, I think it took away from what that book was trying to do. And the translation from book to movie didn't satisfy me at all because I knew this is not the book. Well, this is, I think you know, I, and I, I had to ignore the book in order to watch the movie, but I, I still was disappointed in the film. I think I think with situations like that you run into and this is this is something that you again the who our allies who our enemies are at any point in time like I said with the, there was a there was a time where the Afghan where the <clears throat> where the Taliban was actually a you know on the quote unquote on our side right right and but I think it was more enemy of my enemy as my friend type of thing. Well, which is which, the, by the way, is a, a a terrible, terrible, terrible way to look at any kind of alliance. Um, <laughs> it's it's a popular thing to say, but it's it's a it's poor tactics. Um, <laughs> so I mean, but uh, yeah, no, I agree. I, at, at the time, at the time, changing, you know, you when you when you're looking for allies in the Muslim world. Uh, which we were at the time because we were fighting parts of the Muslim world and you wanted allies within it. Right. Um, and, th and this was post 9-11, if I remember right. You don't so want to, you don't want to have the kind of reach that a film has versus the kind of reach that a novel has. Yeah. So for example, going back to, to uh, Starship Troopers, the majority, the number of people who saw the movie versus the number of people who have read the novel, yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to feel like it's a pretty big limb that I'm not going to worry about falling off of that more people saw the film than read the novel. I would say probably so. Well, although worldwide, although given how long Starship Troopers has been out as a novel. Good point. Maybe, good point. maybe, I would, I would maybe so. it's a cumulative thing that maybe enough people have read the book to, to be on par with the, with the movie. That would be nice because it is a film where basically you know, the director said he hated the novel, and it so, shows. And it showed. And this is not to say that Starship Troopers is not an entertaining space war movie. Yeah, and I think if you look at it that way and not as a Heinlein movie, oh god, it's a terrible. You, Heinlein, can, you, you get through it, but Heinlein, Heinlein does not have a good track record with adaptations. No, um, I mean I. I happen to be a fan of the Puppet Masters, the movie. Mm -hmm. 
mostly because it's got Donald Sutherland being crazy. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's got there are a lot of problems with that film. Yeah, it has it has about twenty five percent connection to the novel, but Donald Sutherland is chewing the scenery. It's awesome just to watch it for his performance. Right now, can you imagine that performance from Donald Sutherland? In the orange juice commercials that he voices, <laughs> I would take it. That would be great. <laughs> People would be going, "I don't know if I should buy the orange juice or not. I'm concerned. What happens if I? What happens to me if I buy this product? If I drink this, will there be? Yeah, <laughs> this orange juice is put out by the pun people. Oh, oh. yes. Oh well. And of course, of course, the best part was is that again. Um, the, the puppet masters actually does follow off of, you know, invasion of the body snatchers. It's, it's a re half the reason that, that he was cast in, in that film. I'm pretty sure is because of course he was in one of the iconic versions yeah. of invasions of the body snatchers. And so it just seems appropriate. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, Heinlein, Heinlein's track record and Heinlein wrote um, quite a bit of, there's a lot of battling of various kinds in his books, but there's not a lot of, of military science fiction in Heinlein's uh, catalog. So, well, and even in the military stuff, there's not a there's not a lot as far as combat or you know anything like like that to some degree. I mean, you look at you look at Space Cadet, for example, mm -hmm. um, which. Granted, it's written for the, you know, it's considered one of the Heinlein juveniles, as they're called. Sure. So it's written for a younger audience. So there's not going to be a whole lot of blood and guts and gore and, and right. hoorah and all that. But, you know, for the most part, the conflict in that book, I'd say the first two thirds of the book, the conflict is the cadets themselves with right. each other and with themselves as they're learning and as they're growing into themselves, you know, in, into their positions as cadets. And it's not until the, the, the mission to Venus in the, in the last part of the book that there's any conflict from outside. And it still, uh, is, is structured well and it still has all of the, all of the, the aesthetic trappings of a military story because right. it's set in the military. These these kids are cadets in the Space Navy. And so, you know, you have all of that stuff. You have the commanding officer and the training officer and the drill sergeant and all this other stuff. I keep uh, – one of the things that uh, that I keep reminding uh, – see, I've, I've tried to get my kid to read Space Cadet probably three or four times now, and he just won't do it. He just doesn't want to do it. <clears throat> but – there is a piece, there's a scene in that book where um, uh, one of the cadets, uh, the chapter is, is uh, labeled Pie with a Fork, and the, one of the cadets has grown up in the South. I think he's from Texas. And as he's growing up, he always, he always ate his pie, just picked up the pie and just ate it, you know, just picked it up with his hand and ate the pie. And... Uh, he was roundly chastised by a drill instructor or a teacher or somebody but he said you're supposed to eat pie with a fork and the 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 essence of the lesson was 
um, that you need to be open-minded about learning other people's cultures and other people's habits and practices and the rules sure. and that, and you know, understanding other people. And right. I've tried to make this point to James, where you know, where it's, you know, you need to you need to get outside of yourself and understand other people. And and I'll and I'll say pie with a fork. You've got to understand what's going on around you with with you know dealing with folks and their expectations and and their you know goals and and realities. And sometimes it sticks, sometimes it doesn't. But you know, life lessons. You know, if if you want to get into those, there are a number of those examples of things to think about mm-hmm. in some of these books. And oh, no. it's not necessarily, you know, the moral of the story is, but right. you get certain characters, excuse me, you get certain characters who are either right or wrong. They are some of the best characters that you can identify with. And you sit there and say, okay, well... I can agree with this person, but in the book, this person is wrong. So, what does that say about how I think about things? And there's there's a there's a good amount of that. Uh, I go back to David Weber's books because David Weber has not overtly said what his political stance is. He and, and he and I talked at Ozfest for about forty five minutes one time. He gave me an interview. We talked for a very long time. And I even asked him about this. I was like, you know, you know, some 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 authors wear their politics on their sleeves, and some don't. You don't know where they are. And you've got such a mix of politics in your books. Mm-hmm. He said it's important for me for the characters' politics to be there, not mine. That, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, yeah. but he's basically saying my politics don't matter when it comes to writing these characters. These characters have certain political points of view, and that those different points of view come into conflict, and that's where the story comes from. Right. And that's as it should be. Oh, but sure. But you also get a bunch of characters that you can either identify with or you don't, and it, it, it helps ground those stories because, you know, military science fiction, this is, this is space battles. Um, right. You know, um, well, and I think that there's something to be said for recognizing that while the villain, the villain, air quotes, uh, in any story, unless they are the card-carrying, cackling, mustache-twirling, evil sorcerer, psychotic god-emperor, whatever, you know, they're, they're not the villain of their own story. Right. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the char- a lot of the antagonists in the Honor Harrington books are not evil. You know, they're right. they're a lot of the antagonists in you know um, you know the the Moton God's Eye, Niven and Pornell. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I, I doubt they're really you know advocating for a interstellar monarchy um, in their politics, um, despite the fact that both of them are fairly libertarian in their viewpoint. I would say. Um, and, but personally, but they're, and some of their books, some of their books show that, but this, you know, they're, they're not advocating for a space monarchy here, even though that's the political structure of the book. Right. Um, that's just where it is. But the villains, again, air quotes are not, they're, they're caught, they, they act the way that they do for biological imperative reasons. They're not doing, and I'm afraid that's a bit of a spoiler and I apologize. For those of you who haven't read the books, 
Um, but they, they are doing what they're doing for survival reasons. It's not because they hate humanity. They don't, you know, this just happens to be, this is what we have to do to survive. Right. Sorry. It's a shame you're in the way. Um, and I think that sometimes it's, you know, the, and of course the Ender's Game series, it's a, especially in the first book. And, and well, actually, yeah. you know, it, it, throughout the first, I'd say four books, the understanding of trying to comprehend who the enemy is um, and then realizing they weren't your enemy. Right. You were at war, but you weren't <clears throat> enemies. And that's a distinction that, you know, you don't see in a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of conflict novels anyway, you know, but at the same time, yeah, no, I think it's, um, it makes for intelligent and why some of these books are the best is because it makes, they make you think about, you know, it's not just a clear black and white, the enemy, the enemy is the devil. Yeah. You know, they're not human. They're not, you know, even if they're not human. Okay. And, and that, and that leads me to the question, would you consider John Carter to be military science fiction? No. Um, although it certainly has some of that in there. Um, Interestingly enough, I would argue that a couple of issues of the various spin-off comics that have happened over the last like 10 years or so right. um, would probably play a little more into the military science fiction side of things than than the books. Although there's certainly there's certainly an aspect. There's still more of a sword and sorcery science sort, you know, science fantasy. Right. You know, but they have, they have there's a little bit of I mean, I mean Carter is a is a, is a soldier. And interestingly enough, of course, for those for those who want to feel, you know, maybe a little uncomfortable about your about your, you know, your political stance on, on anything. Of course, you have to remember that John Carter was a Confederate. Yes. So, I mean, it's a. <coughs> but know, I don't I don't think that we ever got any indication that he was uh, a Confederate for any particular reason other than he was from the South. Well, and I think that that's that's really the implication that is pretty strong in the stories. There's no real. I mean, he's he's plenty clear, plenty clear. Wow, I'm I'm a grown up, and that's a really great sentence there. <laughs> he's quite clear throughout the books. He's not a big fan of slavery. Yeah, and uh, well, and and plenty clear is is how we would say it in the South. Well, okay. Yeah, um, I'm a I'm a Midwesterner. I give you a pass for that. But yeah, I I think I think that that's you know again, you when you look at some of the characters that show up, there's an Earthman character that shows up in one of the comics. I can't remember which, which title it was. There's been like four or five mm. uh, spin-off comics uh, that followed, that followed and resembled the production design of the movie. All right. And um, one of them was a union soldier who uh, John Carter thought he left for dead on the battlefield. He refused to he refused to execute the man. He, they fought. They fought a duel, and the guy died. Or he, he, Carter stabbed him, and the guy he thought he was going to die. And then he gets picked up by aliens, and ends up becoming an alien warlord, and comes back to comes to Mars looking to settle the score. Bum bum bum. Exactly. Yeah. It's a little heavy handed, but it was also kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> so. So, um, so if we had to do some recommendations, mm. uh, as far as, uh, what, what military science fiction we could tell other people that they should read, what's on your, what's on your top five list? Oh, definitely the Honor Harrington books. Yep. 
Um, think for those of you who are who want a, a shorthand, think Horatio Hornblower in space. Yes, um, they are. And if that and if you don't know what that means, go get the Horatio Hornblower <laughs> books. <laughs> Because honestly, they influence things like uh, oh, I don't know, Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, there's there's some of that, I and mean, they're they're an influential series on a lot of genre uh, uh, space opera, modern stuff. I mean, there's there's they're real they're a really great naval series, and I so I uh, definitely check those out. Um, the Moat in God's Eye, Niven and Pornell. Yeah. Um, also, Footfall. It's not really military SF. It's more of an alien invasion novel. Um, but Footfall by Niven and Pornell is also a great um, We Fight Against Humanity Rises Up Against the Alien Invaders novel, uh, which is a subset of military fiction, yes. if, you, if you want to look at it that way. Um, definitely uh, uh, John Ringo's, a lot of John Ringo stuff. Again, um, the I'll, I'll, I always do not want to say this right. Aldenata series, uh, Legacy of that Aldenata. Um, I personally, I think the first four or five books are the best in the series, and I think it kind of goes a little wandering later on, but you might not. Um, but there's certainly um, humanity fights back by using humanity's smarts and the fact that we like to blow stuff up. <laughs> And the aliens have never quite encountered someone who likes to blow stuff up as much as we do. Yes. Um, so it's a lot of they're 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 funny and they're, uh, if you're familiar with web comics, there's a web comic called Sluggy Freelance, um, which has been around forever and it's got a lot of science fiction. It, the, the people behind it are big science fiction fans. Yeah. And so um, there's a character called Bun Bun, who's a psychotic rabbit. <laughs> Psychotic talking rabbit with a switchblade, and he, one of one of the the humans. Um, let's just call it a weapon. Has got a bun bun painted on the side <laughs> because clearly Ringo is a fan of Sluggy Freelance as well. So right. I highly recommend those those books. <clears throat> um, um, I keep seeing. I keep seeing all you need is kill on lists. Yeah, which was the basis for the movie. Um, what was that movie called? Edge it was tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tom Tomorrow. Cruise. Yeah, Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. This no, is I have the, not the read the I have not, story. I have not read the graphic novel that it's based on. <clears throat> I haven't either. Um, although I've heard a lot of good things about it. So if yeah. you enjoyed the film, and it's a fun movie, it's got some. It's got some story issues. It's got some hand waving happening quite a bit. Well, uh, I mean, you're in a time travel story, so you're going to get a little yeah, bit of that. Anyway. But it's also a Tom Cruise science fiction film, so there's a little more hand waving than normal. Um, Although you could do, you know, two or three or four sequels to that, and he's never going to age, so you could just keep looping, and you're <laughs> never going to see him get any older. That's right. So it works. He, he's, there's there's a there's a painting in an attic somewhere. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but I've heard good things about that. And so I, I would, I would encourage you to check it out. I keep meaning to, um, um, Oh, the forever war Haldeman. Yeah, definitely. Definitely check out that one. As, as much as I give, uh, certain people a hard time about things that they have not seen or read yet. Um, with the, with the appropriate eye rolling and sighing, 
along with it. Right, right. Um, I, I will admit I've got just as much of a list of things that I need to catch up on and see and read and, and look at um, just stuff that I've missed or – uh, at the time when it came out, I might not have been interested, and now yeah. it's you know it's one of those things where you know I've got gaps in my in my geek cred, as it were, and you know sure. things like Cleopatra twenty five twenty five. I mean, I I missed it the first time. I need to catch up on it. Right? Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> sure. Uh, but um, all right, was that was that five for you, or is that? Something like yeah, that. Um, I, yeah. If there's anything else I would recommend, I, uh, we mentioned we mentioned Dune, mm-hmm. and and especially with the new with the new film with the, the new miniseries coming out. Yeah. Um, I, I would I would recommend Dune for a lot of reasons. Uh, the battle scenes in Dune are actually really really cool. The war scenes in Dune are actually really really exciting. Um, but be aware that it is a novel about politics and religion. And ecology and money. Yeah, I mean it's a it's Herbert threw everything that he was interested in into this novel, and it, it worked. It was and it's you know, an excellent book. Oh yeah. yeah, and I think that it, you uh, um, you you can carry on for like the next four books in the series. All the stuff that Herbert wrote himself, mm-hmm. and you and if you want to stop there, you can. Although there are the other books in the series. Right, um, but you could stop there and have a really amazing, epic science fiction story. And those books that follow Herbert's original set were written by Kevin J. Anderson and Brian Herbert, who's Frank's son. Um, right. And they also wrote uh, you know, the Hellhole uh, right. trilogy, which is on my recommend list. Um, right now, there's three books in that series. It does end in the three books but it also leaves it open for the possibility of other stories to take place in that in that universe <laughs> if if they so choose so right. uh right now i'm sure that their focus is on the dune movie uh because they're both creative consultants on that project um but yeah i would say the hellhole trilogy would be one um i'll agree with you the honor harrington stories from david weber um, as well as the side novels that he did with John, he's done with, I think he's done with John Ringo with Eric Flint. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably a good, you know, 30, 30 novels or something. But if you're going to start that series, the first book in that series is called On Basilisk Station. And it is uh, Honor Harrington's very first command. And she's in charge of a ship that is not in its prime, and they're assigned to the backwater hind end of nowhere. And she has to make do when the when the sector commander decides, oh, I'm going to take my ship back for for uh, for uh, maintenance. See ya, and leaves her holding the bag for an entire sector. That's supposed to be patrolled by like four or five ships, and she's the only one out there. And she's like, "Okay, got to make it work. Here's what we're gonna do." And you know, you know, pulls up the bootstraps and whatnot. And of course, the entire thing blows up um, as it's as it's meant to. But it's a very good book, and it's a great place. You know, that's that's where you start in the series. Um, I would recommend 
Space Cadet, um, <clears throat> another Heinlein book that's kind of military. I mean, the, the character, the lead character, if I remember right, is ex-military, Glory Road. Oh yeah, is also a good uh, is a good book in that in that headspace. Um, for those of you for those of you interested, a lot of Heinlein's characters have at one point or another been in the military, especially if they're a male character. There's several female characters, but yeah. a lot of his male characters was was Friday was Friday in the military or was she just a courier? I can't remember. Um, she was not in the military. Okay, all right. If my if my memory serves, she was not in the military. But that. That character Friday, um, it, it, it's almost maybe not quite a, a spy insurgent type of character, uh, depending on depending on where she is during the during the time frame. But um, but it seems like, and it's been a very long time since I've read that book. But um, but it seems like that's that's more that. That's the Cat Who Star. Walks Through Walls is another Heinlein book that has a very mm-hmm. distinct. It's a it's a very much a conflict novel. It's a war between um, two planetary bodies. I won't go into details for spoiler reasons, um, but uh, it's it's got a lot of that military tactics. It's a tactics novel in many ways. Yeah. Uh, how about how to fight against a larger force? Um, movie wise, what would you say is a good? Um, you know what I saw uh, in the. On Facebook, there is a, a Starlog fan group, mm-hmm. uh, a fan group for Starlog Starlog magazine. There's like something something like over four thousand people that are in that group now, and somebody posted a cover, and I don't remember what issue it was, but the artwork, uh, the the cover on the front was "Space Above and Beyond." Yeah, that actually I thought was a fairly good series. What? Didn't didn't get the attention that it deserved. I mean, no, and it was it was it was pretty much a military science fiction TV series. Mm-hmm. I think it was handled well. Uh, production value was really pretty good for the time. You know, I want to say that I'd I had seen uh, some comparisons to Starship Troopers uh, in that where Starship Troopers was the parody. Space mm. above and beyond was a lot more. Was yeah. the straight? Yeah, this is this is what Starship Troopers could have been if they'd actually paid attention to the book type thing. There was a Star, Star Starship Troopers animated series that got a lot of praise for being a lot closer to. There was what stuff that went straight to DVD. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and I think Casper uh, uh, Casper Van Dien I think came back and played Johnny Rico in that animated show. Um, yeah, so and I want to see. Got, got some good press. Yeah, and and there were several straight to DVD projects that went after that. Um, yeah, I think I think um, as much as I would love to say, Aliens. Um, the problem with Aliens is that the the Colonial Marines are terrible soldiers. <laughs> they are awful. They are they are a train wreck of bad decisions. Hicks is the well, only good that's, soldier. That's Gorman's that. fault. Right? Yeah, I guess. But no, Hicks is, Hicks is the only good soldier in there. And he's the only one with a, with a lick of sense. These are all su- half suicidal people. Um, but it's 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 a great film to watch mm-hmm. from a military character standpoint. I mean, whether it's not good, ta- terrible tactics. Although you have to wonder if, if the company had deliberately set them up 
I wonder if that particular unit was put together deliberately putting together a bunch of misfits with the idea toward guaranteeing that they would get killed and and captured or whatnot. While this fits very much into the Machiavellian worldview of of the whole larger aliens, uh, Wayland Yutani uh -huh. uh, mythos, um, whether it's the books or the comics, or even looking at the the prequel clear quotes movies, um, I don't think Cameron was thinking about that. <laughs> well, probably not. But you know, it makes a certain amount of sense. Well, I mean, let's like the predator. Predator, you know, is is these are all soldiers. Yeah. You know, but but do not stare directly at what they're doing as soldiers because they're you know, again, these are just terrible right. soldiers. But but it's it's entertaining. I have to say that for uh, Battlestar Galactica, the first the 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 recent series, the, the first yeah, the the first several seasons. I think could you could very much argue it's military science fiction. Yeah, I think so. When you uh, get before, into the mystical aspects of it, maybe not so much, right. but past past the occupation episodes. Yeah. I think mm -hmm. once you get past that, they kind of jumped the shark and went off sideways. In but a especially the way. series, especially the mini series, and especially the first season, yeah. I think are very strong science fiction. Uh, uh, military and, science, and the original Battlestar Galactica, you could say, was was military science fiction to a point. I mean, it was maybe not rigid military in terms of rules and regulations, but in terms of aesthetics and structure, and sure. the kinds of stories that they were telling with you know the conflict that was underlying all of this, all of the episodes. I think you could argue that it was a, a at least it was a military science fiction pastiche uh, yeah. well, that um, was handled fairly well, but. Deep Space Nine, The Dominion War. Yes, yes. Well, in Babylon Five. Oh, definitely Could Babylon be. Five. Uh, especially, especially once they pretty much opened it up into the, the Shadow War became a real thing. Yeah. Um, I think I think there's some interesting stuff. As much as I can't stand Michael Bay movies, <laughs> uh, I find the Transformers films. Although I hear Bumblebee is quite good, I have not seen it. That's I what I've heard. Because he tends to treat the military from one scene to the next, he treats them like a joke or extremely competent. Yeah. And so there, but there are moments in the Michael Bay movies where the military is competent. Um, I happen to one of the one of the few things that I don't think there were a lot of complaints about of say Man of Steel was the portrayal of the military. Because you know, here's a big comic book film with aliens who cannot, you know, who are basically indestructible, and the the U.S. military sits there and goes, "Right, well, we're going to keep going because this is who we are. This is what we do." Yeah. You know, and they're, they're great. You know, today, you know, a, a good death is, is its own reward. Um, you know, is a great moment in the film. However, you feel about about the rest of the film, the military is portrayed extremely positively, right, and sensibly. They aren't jingoistic, you know. Uh, they, these are these are thinking characters who react and adapt as much as they can yeah. within the context of the story, which I think, which I appreciate. My my dad was in the military. My grandfather was in the military. Um, you know, his his father was in the military. Um, I'm one of the first generation. My my cousin served. Uh, I'm one of the first generation that the majority of us in the in the family didn't. Yeah, I've got I've got cousins. Uh, um, the kids of one of my cousin, 
uh, served, and I've got an uncle who was in the Navy. My my dad's father was in the Navy. He was in the construction battalion in the in the South Pacific. Um, my dad got a deferral from Vietnam because he was working at the time for a Caterpillar dealer, mm-hmm. and the military was was buying equipment that had engines that he knew how to service. And so over here in the States, he was training people, here's how you work on this engine. Right. And and so, you know, in he wasn't in uniform. I mean, he was an only child. He was a he was a uh, he had just gotten married. So there was all of this that that factored into it. But, you know, while he didn't wear a uniform, he did his part in training people to go right. over there as far as uh, the maintenance aspect of it. But yeah, I you know, I I thought about it for about that long. I thought about joining the Navy, but I've got asthma and I've got bad vision. So yeah. there wasn't any way that I would have been a fighter jock. So I was like, well, what's the point, you know, if I can't if I can't fly, I, uh, fly fighters. I, I considered it after when I was when I was uh, so much so that I actually was kind of actively recruited for a while. And I talked to my dad about it because yeah. he was in Vietnam and he was a, he was a lieutenant and he, he, he enlisted so he wouldn't be drafted. Sure. A lot of them did. Yep. He, uh, he sat there and went, well, let's see the odds of my surviving are moderately better. The pay rate is going to be moderately higher and I might get to be an officer. And one of his jobs, and I like this story. Um, one of his jobs was taking the payroll out to various uh, locations. Hmm. You know, so he would he would occasionally he would he would occasionally be responsible for making sure it got there. Yeah. And there was one point where you know he was in a rather small boat compared to what he would like to have been in when oh. things were bullets were flying, and he pulls up to a very large boat, which they would say throw up the the, the pay packet. Right. And, and I am. For those of you in the military who are listening to this, I'm grossly simplifying this. You, you, you'll be able to tell that pretty clearly. Um, and my dad said, let me come on board and I'll wait this out. They're like, no, no, no. And he's like, I've got the money. <laughs> and they're like, right, come on. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but it's, uh, you know, I've, I'm, I'm named after uh, one of my, uh, my dad's friends. Growing up, who lost a lost a, a foot in the war, yeah. um, and of course, my dad lost a lot of friends, uh, like anybody who served. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, it is it's a it's a day for remembering that. It's a day for celebrating uh, the veterans and those who serve now, those who are are uh, uh, out there for what whatever reason that they joined. Um, Although a lot of them, I've been seeing on on Facebook pretty much all day, where they are the ones. The ones who are still alive, who served in the military, or there are, or they are currently serving, um, they they are very quick to say, um, "No, no, that's Veterans Day. This is Memorial Day," and the distinction sure. is Memorial Day is not when you thank the ones that are alive, and they're almost to a man are very very adamant yeah. about making that distinction and i think it's 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 noteworthy that they recognize the difference between i got to come home and these guys right. didn't 
And so I think that's that's something that's very important for us to make to to make that distinction as well. And we do appreciate the sacrifice that people have made. Um, so we can sit here and just kind of gab about <sighs> nonsense things for six people on the internet. So, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. We try to entertain. Uh, we do. I tell you, you know, and I'm still trying to figure out how we can have a, a social media footprint of, you know, six or 7,000 people and we have six people watching our shows. It's just like, like where is everybody? Well, maybe tonight they're, they're at memorial services. Uh, well, that's that could be. That could very well be. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us uh, for this particular uh, episode. Um, a programming note, we are uh, having a delay on getting a new Salacious Crumbs out because McKenna has had a lot of work things blow up with it being graduation and Memorial Day and all these different things. So her job has taken uh, a, a priority for this weekend. Um, but we will have a new episode of Tartar Sauce. On Wednesday, right? I think. Have we recorded that yet? <laughs> I don't I'm, think we have. I think we need to. I'm trying to think of uh, of where we are in the recording schedule. I know we've got a couple of them in the can, but they're not in the series that we're discussing right yet. So uh, we're going to work, work on that. Tomorrow morning, we'll have a new uh, Cosplay Diaries entry over on our Instagram video channel. And then, of course, uh, we've got uh, a Good Morning Multiverse Saturday morning. And one of these days, we're going to record a new trailer park. So uh, anyway, OK, that's going to do it for us this uh, this week. Next week, we'll be talking about some other nonsense for six people watching us on online. So in the meantime, check out all of the other video that we've got. Subscribe. Uh, hit the thumbs up. Don't forget, you can get 10% off your order when you hit uh, type in Sci-Fi for Me 10 when you check out over there at SuperheroStuff.com. And uh, thanks very much for watching, folks. And those of you who are listening in the in the podcast version, uh, we, are, we are way behind on uh, getting these things posted, but we'll catch up on that. Uh, so that's going to do it for us. Thanks very much for, for watching, folks. My name is Jason Hunt. I'm Timothy Harvey. And this has been the H2O Podcast here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2019 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.